Hi, my name's Samuel Finlay, and you're listening to the Aces Podcast. In this episode, I have a conversation with founder and creative-in-chief of Patton Studios, Molly Patton. We chat about studying both science and arts at university, merging the two together to start her business, communicating science through visual design, journal cover artwork, and much more. So let's get to our conversation. So I'm chatting with Molly Patton on the podcast today, founder and creative-in-chief at Patton Studios. Thanks for joining me, Molly. Happy to be here, Sam. Thanks for having me. It's going to be an interesting conversation and quite a, a refreshing change for me. I've been chatting to mostly PhD students or former PhD students and researchers, which I've enjoyed and continue to enjoy, but this will be something different. So um, yeah, I'm excited to have a chat. Yeah, well, happy, to, um, happy to share, that's for sure. So you know, firstly, for people who don't know you or don't know what Patton Studios uh, is exactly, could you give us a quick explanation? Yeah, yeah. So um, my role is uh, a creative director. So I um, founded a design company called Patton Studios, which is specifically geared to creating visuals for scientific research and science communication um, or technology or innovation sort of in that kind of scope. Um, Yeah, and we do everything from graphic design through to animation, you know, branding of new startups, um, pretty much whatever the problem is, we find a a visual solution for it. And um, yeah, we've worked with uh, people in sort of medical technology um, all the way through to um, energy storage um, and even sort of new space technologies and astronomy. It's been really, really fascinating to see how broad the the scope and the um, of research is here in Australia. It's quite, um, it's quite incredible and to be able to talk with people in that industry and communicate what they do and um, make it look amazing is, uh, is uh, really rewarding. How have you found business more recently, you know, during COVID-19? You know, obviously everyone's sort of lives have changed and, and working lives specifically. How have you found running, running your business um, during these, these recent times? Yeah, it's it's been interesting. I, I will say that. Um, <laughs> on one hand, yeah, it's it's presented some challenges, obviously, um, particularly financially, dealing with the uncertainty of not knowing, you know, when things are going to pick up again. Um, obviously, the, the academic sector, which is um, my main clientele, is going to get hit pretty hard. Um, so that's presented some challenges, and and also not knowing, you know, when lockdown was going to finish, how long it was going to be quiet for. That that's been tough, um, but it's also presented some relief, uh, not having to to travel as much around for for meetings, um, which I enjoy. I love meeting people face to face, but they take so much time <laughs> out of my day, um, and you know those hours need to be made up somewhere. So it's been kind of nice not to constantly have to play catch up. Um, it's so easy to get caught up in like that day-to-day um, that chaos of, of meetings and projects. And it's been nice to have that time to just reflect and regroup and, and seek out opportunities amongst all this sort of hardship and find out um, what the best thing to do moving forward is. And yeah, I think there's some real opportunities there. So let's go back to your uh, background, I guess, and um, where it all began. So you did both the Bachelor of Arts and the Bachelor of Science at Deakin University. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. 
So why did you decide to, to do both science and arts? Um, it kind of just happened. It's one of those things. Um, I never knew what I wanted to do. I was, I never had that, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a, a, a doctor or a teacher or a lawyer or, um, you know, whatever it may be. I, I never had that. Um, I just enjoyed doing too many different things and I enjoyed learning most of all. Um, I really enjoyed just having new experiences and, um, I was very inquisitive and I asked a lot of questions as a kid, um, to the point where I've been kicked out of class for asking too many questions. <laughs> uh, so I was that kid. Um, and I, I found science was a really great way to answer a lot of those questions. Um, so I, I followed that pathway and ended up, um, following through my love of sports, sort of following the biochemical pathways and metabolism and sort of almost entering into nutrition on like a molecular kind of level, um, which was really fun. Um, but I've also always enjoyed art. I've always drawn, I've always taken photos. Um, and as I made my way through school and the science got harder, particularly um, maths, I, I really struggled with, with maths um, all throughout school. I had to work really hard to get anywhere. Um, and I found that balancing that with art, which is equally intense, I think there's a misconception that it, it's, um, a bit of a bludge. It's really intense, but it's kind of a different kind of intense. And so it stretched my brain in different ways and it kind of just felt really balanced and, and it felt right. So um, I ignored the advice of all my school careers advisors and, <laughs> you know, decided to do both. And it just so happened that at the time, Deakin was the, the only university that offered um, a Bachelor of Arts in um, Photography and Creative Subjects, um, as well as a Bachelor of Science parallel. So um, yeah, it was kind of an, a no-brainer. It was an easy decision of where to go and where to study. So you, your uh, Bachelor of Arts was focused on photography. Did you, because obviously you do a lot of graphics work now, did you mm. do um, some graphic design work then as well, or have you had to sort of learn that on, on, on the go? Um, yeah, I, I knew nothing about graphic design. Um, I think as, as most academics can probably relate, I made all my figures and diagrams in PowerPoint. Um, so I, yeah, I still did that. And, um, no, photography was my thing. Um, I feel very comfortable with a camera in my hands and, um, you know, I did everything from like the film photography where you have to develop it yourself and, um, experimental techniques with different chemical compositions, which kind of my science side influenced as well. Um, but yeah, I've sort of landed on digital photography. It's much more convenient and less messy. And um, yeah, you can get some really great results now through Photoshop and all kinds of technologies. And you've worked as a photographer as well? Yeah, I did a brief stint during undergrad as a real estate photographer. Um, which is nowhere near as cool as it sounds. I was, um, yeah, I, um, I mainly got like the renovation job. So the old ramshackle, um, shells of houses that were due to be bulldozed and I'd have to go in and, you know, step over the broken floorboards and, um, it's probably a serious OHS issue there. Come to think of it. <laughs> sounds it. Um, yeah, you know, I was, I had to just Photoshop, you know, the huntsman out of the corners of the. <laughs> the, the rooms and um which I hate spiders and that's probably why and yeah it was it was just it was an experience um and I really enjoyed it it's just a real bread and butter editing skills that you learn and um yeah it was it was, it was fun I really enjoyed it just you know 
you go out, you go to a house, you shoot it. It was kind of an input-output situation and I got paid. So that was brilliant. Um, but I also worked a lot in, in hospitality as well, as I think most people did throughout uni. You and I both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we can relate. <laughs> Definitely. So you stayed on uh, as a research scholar after finishing your undergraduate degree at Deakin University. Is, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I did. I, I went on to further study. Um, I had done some undergraduate projects and a, a summer internship with the Institute for Frontier Materials, which is a part of ASIS. Yep. And um, I actually began a master's degree with ASIS, and which was just the most amazing opportunity. And um, I, I would have been foolish not to take it. So, um, so I did. And I, I worked under um, Maria Forsyth and her group with uh, Dr. Ren Green. And it was a lot of fun. Um, we were looking at uh, biomimetic materials that could potentially be used for, for cartilage repair or replacement treatments, which was um, being a, a ex, you know, semi-amateur soccer player, um, my knees were shot to pieces. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, this is great. I so need this. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really nice to have sort of that relevant tie to the research as well. Um, and there were aspects of it that I really enjoyed. I loved the people. Um, you know, I love listening to everybody else's research and how passionate they were. And um, I found it so interesting just the way they, they spoke about it and, um, you know, just the notion of, yeah, we're really making a difference here. And I thought, wow, that is, if you could bottle that and sell it, that would just be um, incredible, that enthusiasm and that passion. Um, and funnily enough, like through this whole process, I discovered that I had a knack for making little figures and diagrams and, curating people's research presentations for them and um, they weren't anything fancy but I, I didn't know how to use graphic design tools as we said so at the time I just made them in PowerPoint yeah. and quite quite enjoyed it um, for the most part to the point where I probably did that more than I did the actual research um, <laughs> so that wasn't ideal but it, it was certainly a, a real eye-opener and I saw a real pathway down there and combining that with all the opportunities that ACES gave me um, you're going to conferences and just tagging along to stuff and getting the experience of what it was like to be an academic. I think in undergrad, it's sort of hidden a little bit away. You just sort of see the classroom side of things. Um, but going to see what research, researchers actually do and hearing their goals and their frustrations and their worries and, um, you know, and also their triumphs. And a lot of the time people would come back to me and say, you we don't have time for this. So we don't have enough funding um, or like industry just, we, we can't seem to find a way to show the value of this to industry. And, and all these things sort of started ticking in my head and got me thinking that maybe there's like a, a communication problem here. Um, and, and perhaps visual media could play a huge role in making the, the look and feel of, of research kind of reflect the value of the work um, because, you know, the research quality that we have in Australia is second to none. Um, so it, it shouldn't be a problem. So part of what got me thinking is, well, why is this, why is this a problem? Um, and after I left, I continued to think about those problems and how there wasn't really a resource where academic, academics could go to have this kind of stuff produced for them. And, and that's kind of how the notion of Patton Studio started. So did, did when you started Patton Studios like that, was it 
something that you were sort of thinking about doing on the side and then continuing with a career in science or were you, was your plan to sort of go full time and, and really make a, an effort to make that a, a career? Um, yeah, it was, it's a really good question. I think, um, I was pretty, to be honest, I was pretty burnt out by the time I sort of got to my masters. Um, I had to work very hard at school. Um, a lot of my friends were absolute geniuses and I love them to bits, but, um, you know, my God, they raised the bar and, um, (laughs) trying to keep up with them. I, I had to work really, really hard. And, um, I just continued that through uni and I kind of just, lost sight of what my end goal was. I just sort of focused on being a student and didn't really think about what I wanted to do. So I kind of got to the end of it and I was like, I still don't know. And I, yeah, I just wasn't really sure. So I decided to do something I've never done before and just kind of do nothing. (laughs) And um, yeah, I, I got a job at a Best Western Hotel and did lots of odd jobs in there. I waitressed, um, they had this quaint little fine dining restaurant and I ran the bar and they had lots of events and weddings and retreats, um, which was really interesting. Um, I also had the night shift running room service, which was kind of crap, but, um, you know, it was really interesting just to sort of stop thinking about everything and just kind of focus on, on something that, um, paid the bills firstly. And, um, yeah, I could just kind of relax my head a bit. Um, and I traveled, I went to China, which was incredible. Um, really recommend going, um, when COVID-19 is, is all done and dusted. It's, um, it's a wonderful place. Um, but all throughout this, I kept coming back to these conversations that I'd had with researchers and their problems. And I thought, well, you know, I love learning and I love the people, um, but I felt I just had such a different skill set that I knew I couldn't be a researcher. I just, it just wasn't for me. So, you know, through this creative training, I thought, well, perhaps I, I, I'm in a position that I can contribute to the visual communication side of research and see if I can make a difference there and see if I can take away these problems that researchers seem to be facing um, through, through my own skills and, and through graphic design. Um, yeah, so and that took a, that was about a six month process after after leaving ASUS, um, and a, a very fun conversation to start over the Christmas dinner table that year. It's mum, dad, I want to start a business. So, um, yeah, it, it was kind of a journey of self discovery, I suppose, in a way of just coming back to what I really enjoy, and that's learning and arts and science and whatever I did. It really had to include both of them, or I wasn't going to be happy. Yeah. So was there a a particular moment or a particular breakthrough during that time that then really pushed it forward to become this full-time career? Um, Yeah, I I got approached by um, Jenny Pringle, who had a a journal cover opportunity. Um, And so I took my camera and I went over there and I took some some photos and um, they were like ionic Psionic liquids and plastic crystals, um, these, uh, I guess they were spherical beakers. I can't remember the name, but, um, you know, taking photos of these. And I created like this really cool abstract photograph and overlaid um, nanofiber sort of SEM imagery of the same material. And I thought, oh, wow, this is really cool. This is abstract, but still reflects the science. Um, and I thought that's a really interesting notion to play with. And there's so many levels of depth in that. 
And um, that was kind of when I thought, oh, you know, maybe there's something here, especially when it, it, it got the cover and I was like, okay, well, maybe I am kind of good at this and, um, you know, make it, make a run for it. And, and I have nothing to lose. I think I was 23 at the time, um, you know, working in hospitality. It's like, well, let, let's have a crack. Let's go. So how do you approach that, you know, merging science and design and, and art together? Not easily. Uh, <laughs> in, in, in a few words, yeah, not easily. It's, um, I think the more I got into it, the more it all started to kind of make sense and the puzzle pieces fit together. So I started with literally my PowerPoint skills and photography and I, I knew I had to learn graphic design. So I jumped into that and one thing kind of led to another. So people started asking for a website. So sure, I can do web design and learn web design. Um, animation was a tough one. I sort of had to learn that in a studio for about four months, just um, practicing and just learning as much as I could. I just came in with the mentality of be a sponge kind of that was that was the role I sort of played and I got to see how they ran the studio and it was just the most amazing experience and a lot of those those people who are at that studio I, I now work with so there's a really nice sense of community there as well um, and I, I trust them you know with, with all, all the projects I've seen how they work and it's just amazing um, so that kind of the creative visual imagery side sort of started to come together. And, and the more I started working with other people, the more I found that I, I don't enjoy the sort of the creating side as much as I thought I did, like, except maybe photography. Um, you know, I, I don't enjoy the process of animating. It's a nightmare. It's, it's really, really hard. And unless you have that 10 years experience, it's never going to look how I wanted it to look. So moving forward, what I found I really enjoyed was the problem solving aspect of design and taking a series of criteria and instructions from clients and saying, you know, we don't just want a diagram. We need a diagram that does this and we want to use it here and here and oh, it would be cool if it could do this. And I take that information and distill that down into the right solution for the client that um, fits all their needs and also looks great. And that's, part of what I really enjoy and having to being able to apply that in a research setting and help sort of um, boost the visual impact of science. That's, that's yeah, coming full circle and that's really rewarding. So earlier this year, you designed the journal cover art for the Royal Society of Chemistry, next gen, next gen nanomaterials. How did that come about? Um, yeah, it was a really, really fun cover. So, um, it was a deacon group through the Institute of Frontier Materials. Um, and yeah, it was, a, it was a really interesting one, a really fun one, but particularly interesting in that it wasn't how we normally do journal covers. So usually what happens is um, a group comes to us, um, they've been offered a position of a journal cover or they want to apply for one. And um, we go through an extensive kind of process that is we've got really down pat over the years, uh, whereby you know I'll have a talk with the researchers and I'll have a read of the paper um, and I'll try and pick out sort of what parts are really integral to the research and what could be visually communicated really well. But we also research the journals and what they like to publish as well, because 
you know, our, yes, it has to look great and the client has to be happy, but the client will be really happy if we get them the front cover or inside cover or back cover, whichever it may be. So our primary objective is to make sure that the journal also loves this cover as well. So we give them the best chance of getting published. So in the case of um, the Royal Society of Chemistry, that didn't quite happen. Um, <laughs> the Deacon group, yeah, they came to us um, with a really vivid idea of what they wanted, which was really cool. It was, um, they wanted like this underwater scene with their, their next generation nanomaterials, which is, they're called TMDs, which stands for Transition Metal something. I'm not sure how to pronounce the last word, um, but they're really, really cool. And they just wanted to showcase um, this TMD structure, which is sort of the golden cube. If you go and look up the, um, the cover um, in the middle of an underwater, kind of like a coral reef scene. And they wanted to have, instead of coral, um, like these rusted, um, older generation, if you like nanomaterials, so your buckyballs and your nanotubes right. um, all lying around. And it was really, really cool, but we sort of, we felt that the shallow water wasn't really, um, didn't really work with the idea of um, like rusty old undiscovered things. So we kind of pitched the idea of making it deep sea, like discovery, um, you know, uh, finding underwater treasure or, you know, something like Titanic where you'd see all these old, you know, things and then all of a sudden you, you pop up and you see this um, glowing treasure, which is um, their new structure. And so we played on that and we pitched it to them and they, they really liked it. So we, we went through lots of research into sort of underwater wrecks and what they look like, um, the kinds of creatures that live on the ocean floor. So there's a few crabs in there that you can see that we've yeah. looked up how to create. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And, and the way that um, Dee, the, the 3D artist who, who worked on it with me, did the lighting and sort of shining like a submarine spotlight onto it. It just, it just worked so well. Um, and we were really stoked that they got the cover as well. So yeah, happy days. Oh, right. And how, and how much time goes into one? Um, very good question. So it can range ideally two weeks. Um, usually the timeline is a little bit shorter than that. So we have to condense our creative process down. Um, but two weeks, if anyone's looking to, to do a cover is, is a reasonable time frame. Okay. And, and more on, I guess, simple design uh, and something maybe for the listeners and researchers out there. Do you have any tips on how they should approach, you know, really simple designs for say um, a presentation that they might be doing or um, if they might be um, presenting a poster at a conference? Yeah, definitely less is more is probably the primary takeaway. Um, the visuals should speak by themselves, but they should be visual, like annotations and words. Um, I, I don't really consider that unless they absolutely have to be an integral part of visuals. If you can't say it with just the visual, then maybe you need to rework how you're visualising what you want to say. Um, so process diagrams are a really good example. So if you've got a process diagram and you need to annotate each step with a 50 word paragraph, it kind of defeats the purpose of the process diagram. Yep. So definitely less is more. Um, and think about who's going to be looking at it and what kind of audience that is. So 
if you're at a conference, um, consider you know your font choices and your font sizes. Make sure that they're easy to read. Um, you know, usability isn't just for a consideration for devices. It's also a consideration for anything that you create or design. Um, so making sure that whoever's um, going to be looking at your work, it's an enjoyable and easy experience because that means that they'll take in more of the content um, and, and who knows where it leads from there. That's where sort of you can generate some real, really nice opportunities by making it um, an enjoyable experience for people to interact with your work. Great. So how about life outside of Pattern Studios and work? What, what do you get up to in your, in your downtime? Um, I think I quite like just being a regular 20-something, to be honest. Um, you know, going out with friends, go to the football, um, you know, just watching Netflix, I guess, to, to an extent. Um, I quite enjoy, you know, film and television and, and studying that. Just I find it quite... You know, it sort of it augments all the things I'm learning and I see, you know, special effects and I'm like, oh, I know how they did that. And um, that, that's, that's kind of a buzz. Um, but also new experiences. I, I still love art. I love fine art. Um, I go to galleries all the time and I find every time I do, and, you know, you see something new and it kind of, it it's like this stimulus and um, it feeds that creative side of me as well. And, you know, you file it away for later for inspiration um so yeah um i enjoy travel obviously not at the moment but uh, you know, <laughs> it's um you know that's certainly on the cards down the track um yeah just just doing lots of different things um keeping busy i enjoy exercise as well um i try and do a bit of exercise every day but um yeah COVID has certainly shown me sort of the the value and the need for, for friends and family and those relationships. Um, so it's been nice to slow down and focus on that a little bit too. Yeah, certainly. So I wonder, this is something I've asked everyone that I get on, but I wonder if you've got a, a morning routine or something that you do every day that helps you approach uh, your work. Morning routine. I, I, I've tried all sorts of morning routines um, <laughs> so throughout the years, to, to be honest, <laughs> it's, it's finding the right one. Um, before COVID, I, I certainly had a more of a strict routine. Um, I'd sort of get up and, uh, you know, I'd have a certain sequence of things that I would do in order to get in the right frame of mind for the day. Um, and now I, I sort of, what, what used to stress me about that was, yeah, there are clients that would call and, you know, things would happen. And that kind of got, you know, the sequence got annihilated basically. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was frustrating every day. It's like, I still haven't done my morning routine and it's 2 PM. And um, so, you know, it just kind of, it didn't work basically all the curveballs that get thrown at me throughout the day. It just meant that unless I get up at 4 AM um, it's not going to happen. So now I kind of have like a daily set of things that I do throughout the day. And it's sort of my choice when, when they get done. So that often involves, you know, some sort of exercise, um, be it like I would go to the gym, um, obviously not at the moment, but that was something that I would enjoy doing. I'd walk my dog and have a coffee. And, you know, when that happens throughout the day kind of just depends on, on sort of how events unfold throughout and um, yeah, rolling with the punches a little bit more, which, which has been nice to be honest. I think I'll, I think it can stay for the time being this, this new routine. <laughs> so if you weren't doing what you're currently doing for a living today, what do you think you would be doing? Would it be in research? Um, that's a really good question. I, yeah, I, I honestly can't 
imagine myself doing anything else at the moment. Um, and I, I try to take that as a sign that I'm in the right place. Um, so that, that's really good. I, I love the aspect of using all kinds of knowledge, you know, from my, my research and scientific knowledge through to, you know, the creative skills and, and techniques that I've learned and even business as well that I've had to learn along the way um, very quickly. So, yeah, I think I'm in the right place. You know, I'm for, for who I am and how I learn, it's, this is pretty perfect. So I, I can't imagine doing anything else and I, I'm okay with that. So that, yeah, it's, that's cool. I normally also ask my um, guests if they've got any advice for PhD students or, or researchers, but I wonder if maybe you've got any advice for someone who might be thinking about doing the same sort of thing as, as you is, you know, starting their own business and uh, taking a chance on, on something that they're passionate about. Yeah. Um, advice. Gosh, I'm not really in the business of dishing out advice. Um, <laughs> I, I guess what really helped me, um, it, it might be useful is learning to recognize the difference between the things you enjoy learning and the things you enjoy doing. And the best way to do that is to, to just jump on every opportunity that comes your way. And you'll find that there are things that, you know, sound really cool and you love hearing about them, but actually doing them is not that fun. Um, and then there'll be things that you really enjoy and you can take that information and really design your own future in a way. Um, there are so many opportunities now than there were, you know, 10, even five years ago, um, you know, jobs are popping up with the strangest titles. And I, I quite like that, you know, you can just design something for, for you. And if that's doing a PhD and going down the academic route, then go for it. And if it's branching out and, and doing something, you know, innovative, maybe you've come up with a new device and you want to spit it out into a company, go for it. Or if you want to do something completely different, that that's cool too, you know, just do what's right for you. Um, but be informed when you do it, I think is probably the advice I would give. <laughs> So um, to bring the podcast, I guess, to, to a bit of a close, do you have any future plans for yourself and for Patton Studios going forward that you, you might want to share? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I've had a lot of time to think over the last few months. <laughs> Haven't we all? Um, yeah, so a lot of contemplation and it's been really nice. Um, yeah, I'm really proud of how far the studio has come so far, both myself and, and growing my creative skills and also... Um, how my team and I work together, um, you know, building that community of, of creatives and kind of connecting those two industries, arts and science together. It's, it's really wonderful. Um, and I think now we've kind of nailed the, the visual side of things and the visual communication, but moving forward, we want to move into um, kind of applying those skills and those techniques into ways that we can actually help um, researchers like reclaim that time back and reclaim, um, you know, optimizing the fundamental research process so we can, you know, get things translated faster. Cause I think ultimately everyone in, in research and, and you know, everyone has that goal of solving a problem and having an impact. And, and we want to help enable that for researchers as much as possible. Cause they're the ones that have these amazing ideas that can change the world and really help people. And, yeah, if we, if we can help them do that, you know, faster with some more funding, more efficiently, then um, we'll be doing a good thing too. So that's, that's kind of the next goal. And part of that is through um, education. So I'm actually building and uh, writing, haven't got to the building stage yet, <laughs> um, 
but an online education platform that just oh, has like short courses. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like Udemy or Domestica or, or whatever. Yep. Um, but just for like PhD students or, or postgrads, so master's students to right. learn basic graphic design skills, like, you know, how to make a poster or how to make a PowerPoint, how to capture your research, you know, how to take a, a proper photograph just with your smartphone, like nothing fancy. Um, but how to, how to do that and create this consistency and build up and like, these layers of, quality media so that kind of when you get to the end and it's like oh you know i've been signed up for a conference and a poster and i didn't know and now i'm really stressed yeah. and it's like hang on i've got all this media here that i took you know three months ago during my research i can put something together and it takes that stress out of it and makes it more enjoyable and the designs will reflect that they won't have that stress in them or, or that uncertainty they'll look really really good and that's when the opportunities come um, whether by collaboration or industry interest. And I think that's a really big part of just having a resource where you can learn exactly what you need to learn in a short amount of time. Um, so that's kind of where it's moving, sort of giving back and sort of edu um, creating educational content as well as um, just running the studio, doing what we do and, um, yeah, consulting a lot more with industry now. And we'll see where it goes. I'm kind of just letting it, evolve as it needs to evolve and um i'm just the one who facilitates it and puts it all into place and where can people find your work and find pattern studios i know you're online and social media um yeah so patternstudios.com.au is our website um so we've got um most of the latest projects that we're allowed to publish um up there and some news um some workshops if you're interested sort of down the track um but most of that will be taken online into this new platform um but yeah social media we're on instagram i'm on twitter um the studio is not but you know that's um i quite like you know being part of that academic chatter sort of phd life kind of hashtag um conversation um <laughs> and LinkedIn is a big one. I'm, I'm often trolling through LinkedIn looking so for <laughs> opportunities. Yeah. I, um, I never thought I'd say this, but yeah, I really love it. So um, yeah, um, both Patton Studios and um, myself are, are on there. So yeah, if you follow us on LinkedIn, um, no doubt you'll see our content pop up um, at some point or another because we, we're pretty regular on that one. Great. Well, thanks so much for your time and for having a conversation on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, no worries, Sam. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the ACES podcast. For more episodes like this one, be sure to subscribe wherever it is you get your podcasts. You can also find more information about ACES on our website, electromaterials.edu.au. There you'll find links to our various social media platforms. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at Samuel Finlay. Until next time, thanks for listening.